Hi, this is Simon Jowett, writer of James Bond comic books for Dark Horse, and you are listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. You're listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, Rogue Agents, episode 33, where we will be talking about Diamonds Are Forever, the BBC radio drama from 2015. Welcome back to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, the Rogue Agents Edition. I'm very excited to be chatting with you about some more of these radio shows or radio dramas that the BBC did a few years back. I am your host, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, codenamed Death Probe, and I have my usual Rogue Agents crew with me tonight. So let's start introducing folks. Welcome back to Rogue Agents headquarters. We will start with you, Pat, Agent DJ Christatos. Hey, Gerard. I went just got back from the dentist and uh, <laughs> I got some teeth pulled and then some new teeth put in right now. So I'm a little, mm. you said, don't worry about it there. It, it should be really make my teeth look sparkling. <laughs> I think you're smuggling. That's what I think. What? Yeah. I know I'm trying to smile. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a smug smile. It's just a smile. Yeah. I was good. All right. Your time's up. Let's move, <laughs> let's move on to, uh, Delvin Williams, a.k.a. Agent Dark Web. Welcome back to the headquarters, Agent Dark Web. If you've got any Bond-like stuff you've been doing, you can do that. Or if you've got silly bits like Pat, it's your choice. I don't really have any Bond-like stuff, so I'll, I'll go for the silly bit instead because you know, I am the head of the snake. That's me. Mm. Maybe the tail. Maybe maybe, maybe the bell. I'm, I'm kind of confused as to <laughs> what, what that is, <laughs> to be honest with you, but we can get to it later. All right, I am the union of the snake. The union of the snake. You and Jason, Albrecht Stereo. <laughs> this is for free, folks. You don't even pay for this. All right, continuing our introductions, we are going to Mr. Alan J. Porter, code name Tex. Welcome back, Alan. Thank you, Jared. I'm just. Uh... Can pop it off in a minute because I have to sort of get the steam up on the uh, on the old train here and head out to Specterville for a quick run on the uh, with the old locomotive there. So, Alan, is that a euphemism? I've let you work that out, Delvin. <laughs> mm, okay, <laughs> and that leaves us with our uh, man in the field, not recording from his usual location. It is my brother. It is Jason Albrecht, codename Weasel Skull. Jason, how are things out in the field? Things are great out in the field. I know you all were worried about my being able to attend this evening, but as fans of the show know, I am miraculous with technology, so I have everything up and working swimmingly. I'm sure there will be no problems. I will say I'm on a work trip, and there's a a little bit of a danger, I found out, to having to record this show while I, in the day... I have to sit in a room full of like my boss and my boss's boss and a bunch of managers and stuff. And I'm thinking about the show and I'm trying to think of bits, right? And my my boss's boss says that touchy-feely thing about uh, 
we need to have grace with each other. And my mind immediately went to Sean Connery and go, I had grace last night. <laughs> but I did say it. Okay, good for say you. It, so, so I'm not fired. So, but there is a danger, folks. They were going to send you to her? But they were going to send me to her. <laughs> Again. Again, that's right. So at any rate, but I'm here. Technology is working and uh, glad to be here with you folks. Well, that is your crew. That is the standard Rogue Agents crew. And as I promised you, we are going to discuss the BBC radio drama Diamonds Are Forever. Don't push it in, 007. Screw it in. Right. Fix it securely into your eye socket. Pretend you're a jeweler. Now, what do you see? Well, fine stone? Rather wonderful. Must be worth a fortune. <laughs> no, you're wrong. Actually, just a few pounds for the cutting. Really? Oops, common or garden quartz. Oh, easy for you, sir. You've got the crib. <laughs> Try this one. Hold it up to the light. <clears throat> oh, goodness. Amazing. What's your opinion on the quartz now, 007? I see what you mean. Bit of a lifeless chunk, would you say? Yes. It's nothing. Nothing beside the infinite colors of the real thing. Diamonds Are Forever by Ian Fleming. Dramatized by Archie Scottney. Toby Stevens is James Bond. Also starring Alex Jennings, Stacey Keach, Nigel Havers, John Standing, Lisa Dillon, Josh Stamberg, Kevin Daniels, and Jared Harris as Mr. Spang. Martin Jarvis is the voice of Ian Fleming. Diamonds Are Forever was first broadcast on the 25th of July in 2015 on BBC Radio 4. It stars Toby Stevens a.k.a. Gustav Graves as James Bond, and Lisa Dillon as Tiffany Case, and Josh Stamberg as Felix Leiter, John Standing as M. And I got to mention, they had a special guest star in there as Ernie Curio. We had Stacey Keach. The story of Diamonds Are Forever is pretty much a dramatization of the novel, not so much the movie. With that, the first question I have for you guys, I suspect this is a first listen for everybody. Let me just double check. Alan, is this a first listen? Because you're going to be the only one who have listened. Yeah, I was going to say, I only need to check. Ama- amazingly, yes, this was either a first listen or I had completely forgotten about it because it was not at all familiar. So, yes. Even if it historically isn't, I'm counting it as a first listen. Okay. I, I kind of thought so because I, I had a, a different question I wanted to pass around because I figured if I did first listen, re-listen, we were all, this is a new to all of us. This is first listen for all of us. And it's been fun. This is the third time that we've done one of these on Rogue Agents. I foolishly put them in novel order, which is not the order they were released at the BBC. In fact, this was the fifth one that was released, but it's the third one if you listen to them in novel order. So what I wanted to do is, since it's so closely tied to the novel and it's pretty much a dramatization of the Diamonds Are Forever book by Ian Fleming, I figured I'd go around and see who's read that. Uh, I've read it. It's been, gosh, probably 20 years, though. Pat, have you gotten to Diamonds Are Forever, the novel? I have not. I was waiting for Jason to bring that up on one of his... <laughs> one of his literary bonds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Delvin, Diamonds Are Forever, the novel? 
Much like my Ricky agent compadre, I have not read the novel Diamonds Are Forever. Ah, so we're, you're part of the Cheaters Club now because you kind of have now that you've had the dramatization. Now, I suspect my last two are going to say yes. Jason, Diamonds Are Forever? Yes. On my quest to read through all the Flemings, I did read Diamonds Are Forever fairly recently. Recently enough where I think I could tell a couple of the slight differences uh, in the audiobook as compared to the novel. Oh, good. I'll be interested to hear your insights on that this evening. And Alan, I'm certain you've read this novel. I have indeed. Um, yes, I have a copy literally within arm's reach. So, yes. All right. So before we get into it with the highs and the lows and all that stuff, the one thing that I kind of wanted to bring up was the difference for those of you who haven't listened to it yet. It's available on YouTube. It's free. You can go listen to it. It runs 90 minutes. Certainly encourage you to do that. But I figured we might could have a quick discussion, especially with Alan and Jason, about the big differences between the novel, which is what we really listen to, versus the movie. So we don't need to go deep, deep into it. But like off the top of my head, I was like, okay, there's no Blofeld in the novel. And to me, it's much more of almost like a procedural, like going up the food chain of a smuggling racket, which they'll do a little bit in the movie, but it's much more of a broader adventure. And that was kind of my big takeaway. Alan, feel free to add or subtract from that. Yeah, I mean, basically the movie takes, like a lot of the movies, just takes certain bits out of the novel and then spins its own story over it. So yeah, you know, there's there's the location, parts of South Africa, Interestingly, mm-hmm. the, the, the movie completely ignores the Saratoga, New York stuff, and then goes straight to, to Vegas, where most of the action takes place. It's pretty much the locations and the basic idea of a diamond smuggling pipeline, plus a few of the characters. Some are pretty much straight lifts, like Wint and Kid. Others are used very differently, like Shady Tree is very different in the novel than in the movie. So yeah, like a lot of the movies, it's, it sort of cherry picks bits from the novel it's named after. Movie-wise, it's not one of the closest Fleming adaptations. I'd say it was very loosely based on some of the concepts in the novel. I don't know if Jason agrees with that. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Add, take away your thoughts. since uh, You've read it probably most recently out of all of us. 100% agree. I think, as Alan indicated, for the movie Diamonds Are Forever, they touched loosely on the diamond pipeline. And, of course, that diamond pipeline in the movie leads to a much larger threat with the diamond satellite and holding the world hostage, which that was purely for the cinema, whereas the book is really just shutting down this diamond smuggling operation. I will say one add-on, I kind of felt like the Saratoga part of this might have been carried over or influenced the horse race scene in A View to a Kill. And mm-hmm. I wonder if folks mm-hmm. thought of that. Yeah, that's, good. That. That, that's a good point, yeah. And then the only other thing I would add is in the movie, you had the homosexuality between Went and Kid, which you don't have in the book, but you still have the gay theme with the one of the Spang brothers. So that was in there as well. Yep. I noticed both of those uh, comments as well. So, yeah, I just want to touch base with the guys who are a little more literary, just in case people listening like, OK, I don't have 90 minutes to listen to it. So there's your broad differences between the two and I, yeah i do feel like the movie replaced new york with amsterdam and everything else that, that jason and alan said so there you kind of have it on that and with that i, I, I have i have i have one more difference go ahead i didn't hear shirley bassey sing one time in this radio <laughs> not 
one. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> well, Delvin's already got a low score in set for this one because there was no Shirley Bassey. But hey, with that as a great segue to get into our highs and lows on Diamonds Are Forever, the BBC radio drama from 2015. In the round one, I will start with Pat Sampson. Pat, what do you think? Round one, high, low, what the? Well, I just want to say I like that you asked that question about the difference in the beginning here, because that would was one of the things I was kind of wondering, too. Either when we read the books or listen to these audio dramas, what makes it into the different movies? What bits and pieces that are, are used? And that's the horse race reminded me of View to a Kill. Right, right. Is like Jason said, so. But what I really like about these audio dramas, I like Toby. He's cool. Oh, he's you know, great. Just, he is great. He really can be a Bond. You know, I would say he, he'd, he'd be another Bond that is in my head now with his voice. So I put him up there with the other Bonds, you know, just because he's not on the film. I think he does a great job acting. And what I really like is what they leave in his thoughts that are in his head. Right. He's obviously mm-hmm. not talking to him out loud, like, I'm going to do this now. And I'm <laughs> Got to make sure to load my weapon. Yeah. <laughs> what are you saying over there? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> Who said that? I mean, just the first thing, once he started talking and you get more into it, I was, man, this guy is really good. He really makes me believe he is James Bond. I think that's a great first round high. I think he's very good voice casting. You know, the fact that he's, Tied to the Bond movie franchise already, having played the villain in Die Another Day, just makes him all the more interesting. And oh, by the way, for those of you who don't know, he is Dame Maggie Smith's son. McGonagall from Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. That's pretty cool, though. That's uh, yeah, I, I, like bo- I like both of those actors. They're very fine actors. So uh, that's a little fun fact for you. Uh, since I didn't prepare any fun facts, I'll just sprinkle them in during the section <laughs> as we go. All right, let's go with Delvin. High, low, what the? I'm going to give a low in a sense. And then remind me on the second round because I want to give a how I would improve it, a.k.a. Diamonds Are Forever for Dummies. In the first <laughs> round, I'm going to give it a, a low only because it, like, there wasn't a ton of action. Like there have been some of the radio serials that we've heard where like, I mean, it, you're almost drawn in immediately. And sometimes some of the books that you're drawn into that action immediately, even if Ian Fleming is describing the scene or and it's the scene is so vibrantly described that it sort of gives you a picture. And, I, and personally, I need that. Maybe I'm not like, good on my, I can't remember which side of the brain is the artistic side, left brain or right brain. But I'm I'm not that brained. <laughs> so I need as many context clues as possible to help me describe the scene. <laughs> and so to me, uh, it was missing that a little bit, even though I will say that uh, Bond's exposition did help a lot. Like, say, towards the end, when he was trying to line up that nearly impossible shot and he had like only four shots left and he knew that he had to time in a certain way. The internal dialogue or monologue from Bond absolutely did help with that. I just wish there was a little more action. I completely agree with you, Delvin. To me, this is, of the three we've listened to so far, this is my least favorite of three. I still enjoy the performance, but I think there's just something about the story structure in general that Fleming wrote that puts this one a little bit 
offbeat. I think you're feeling that. And I look forward to Delvin's improvements for Diamonds Are Forever in round two. And while we wait on that, let's check in with Jason the Weasel Skull. Round one. I'm going to give a high to my man, Stacy Keach, Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer himself as Earl on this. I thought that was just great. Earl was one of the highs from the books for me. I really liked that character. He seemed to have good chemistry with Bond in the book. I think that it really paid off well having Stacey Keach as that character portrayed here on the audio drama. So that's my high. Stacey Keach is Earl. I think the character's name is Ernie. So if you want to do that whole thing again. As Ernie. As Ernie. <laughs> 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 but yeah, he was good. Uh, he was the guy that it's hard for me to keep the character straight in this one because it just goes from character to character, to character, to character, to character, as you move down the diamond smuggling line. He was He's the limo the one driver. That was like driving him around. He was kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. It was the cab right. driver in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's what I thought it was. Okay. Yeah. He was very good. And Stacy Keach was clearly having fun with that. And now Jason's got me thinking about all those Mickey's playing Mike Hammer episodes we used to watch in the 80s when we were kids. Those are great shows. <laughs> Might be another good podcast we could do one day. We'll put that in the <laughs> We'll put a pin in that one because I wouldn't say no to that. <laughs> all right. Let's go to Alan gets to be the anchor man here in the round one. Alan, what do you got, a high or a low or what the? I'm going to go with a what there. I'm not going to pick up on something Jason said earlier about it being slightly different from the book. It wasn't slightly different from the book. They left out a lot. To Delvin's point, they left out some of the best action sequences. Yes. Particularly the fight on the, the concluding fight on the Queen Elizabeth between Bond and Winton Kidd. They completely cut it. They just sort of said, oh, they found two bodies on the boat. And I'm like, hang on a minute. That's one of the best scenes in the book. They left out a lot of the stuff around the Tiffany Case Bond character development. In the audio version, it didn't ring true that they were suddenly that close to me because they left out a lot of the stuff that's in the book about their relationship. And the other thing is they left out a bunch, but they also put in a bunch of stuff that isn't in the book, which didn't make sense to me. So they put in the stuff about, you're talking about Ernie driving around Vegas. He actually, he's talking about, oh, you know, Frank Sinatra's at this place and they're going to go see Liberace and stuff. None of that's in the book. None of those guys get mentioned in the book. Because if they would, they would be an entry in a certain James Bond lexicon. And then and is that a product you could buy? Like a, yeah, I'm yeah, <laughs> surprisingly, uh, on Amazon. Go, go check it out. So yeah, they did that. Even though Frank was, I actually looked it up. Even though Frank uh, was actually playing Vegas starting in '51, so he would have been in town, but they're not mentioned in the book. Frank's reference to Barbara Cartland is not in the book, and that's a very British reference. An American would never have made a reference to Barbara Cartland. The thing about Bond putting Tiffany Case up in a spare room in my flat, not in the book. She actually lived with him. They almost got married. The closing line is not from the book. But the, other, the one that really got me, and I'm getting really nitpicky here, is when Bond was getting into the steam bath and the attendant said, set it for 30 degrees. It's a steam bath. 30 degrees to us is cold. Because it was 2015, what they were doing was 30 degrees centigrade, which is 86. But it was set in the 50s, so they wouldn't have said 30 degrees. And even in the UK in the 50s, they weren't using Celsius. They were using Fahrenheit. So I did not know that. So I don't know. They tried to put stuff into the script to make it feel more like the 50s. And also some of Bond's language was actually very 2015, not 50s language, British. Some of his um, Britishisms, colloquialisms were actually more 2015 than 1950s. So I don't know. 
they left out a lot of really good stuff and they shoehorned in stuff that which completely threw me out of the story because I was like, that's not in the book. That's not in the book. That's not in the book. That's wrong. That's wrong. Um, so it completely threw me out of the story. So that's me just being a nitpicky Brit, but I didn't, he's <laughs> read the book numerous times. So yeah, it didn't, uh, it didn't, didn't fly with me and I didn't understand why they did it because as you said, the other ones we've listened to have been so good and I'll get off my soapbox now. That's all right. The entire time I thought he said 130 degrees. And I, I thought like, he said just 30 degrees, which is 80. Because <laughs> 130. Like, that is some uh, hot mud. 130, yeah, you'd, you'd burn. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was like, yeah. who's doing 130 yeah. degrees? That would be awful. So I thought he said 30 because. You're probably 20, right. Yeah. Mine, I was like, wouldn't that hurt a lot? <laughs> oh, a little rotisserie bond. It smells delicious. <laughs> oh, right. I'm going to see well, if I can find it in the book now. Oh, <laughs> now we got Alan Hunt and stuff. All right, well, then we'll go ahead and get into round two of the highs, lows, and what those, and we'll start back at the top of the order with Agent Christatos. I got a few things on my list, but I'll just go down and talk about the chemistry and just banter between James and M in this was fun. I liked how they would kind of kind of go back and forth and kind of take some quick whips at each other and just just have some fun. And then trying to listen to when they would talk to each other in code to kind of say some things like, oh, what is he saying there? You know, because, I, you know, he's telling them what he just did or, or, or what he needs to do. And so you're like, oh, OK, I'm trying to decipher what was happening. But I liked it. I think, again, that the chemistry between Toby and the guy who plays them just really paid off there. Yeah, that's uh, John Standing as okay. him. As him. And I agree with you. I think they have a great back and forth. And uh, I think that John Standing does a good voice. You mentioned earlier, Toby Stevens is good. Mm -hmm. The voice cast for him is good. I, I hope I'm not stealing someone's higher low, but like I love the voice casting of Felix Leiter. I did too. Yeah. They found a guy who like had the Texas flag tattooed yeah. on his chest. <laughs> very, very Texan. That was a good authentic Texan. Didn't sound anything like a Texan accent to me. Can I get a little controversial with John Standing? See if I'm the only one. I didn't care for the the voice of it. It sounded like a kind of like a kind old man, not that no nonsensical elderly gentleman that I'm used to, like with Bernard Lee or. Am I alone on that? I, I'm alone on this island, aren't I? I could tell, but <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Didn't bother me. I, I didn't dislike him at all. Yeah, I thought it was more of a later bondish time for them. You know, the edges aren't as rough anymore between the two. Yeah, they do seem there's a slight chumminess to them. So yeah. maybe that's what Jason's picking up on. There is that is like they they seem a little more like. You know, she can stay in my flat. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I think no, I'm not. Like, like Bernard Lee or, or Robert Brown would have been like, shut up, Double <laughs> What you do on your own time is your own business, Double <laughs> All right. Well, Delvin, what do you got? And oh, you, you have how to fix diamonds are forever. Okay. I won't say how to fix it, but I was. Thinking, like, I, I watched, you know, listened to the whole thing, hour and a half or so. And at the end of it, I was like, okay, I do get what happened because thanks to Bond's exposition and pardon, 
me at least paying partial attention to the show, I could understand that they were taking down a diamond smuggling ring. James Bond had to go undercover to do so. But I really think what could have helped is if at the beginning, when him and M were going back and forth, that they could have broken it down or even said, okay, we have gotten to step two of this five-step operation. At the end of the operation is at step five. We need you to get steps three, four, and five done to beat the bad guy, especially describing it via radio. Like maybe a simpleton like me would have been able to tune in a little bit more because I'd have been like, okay, they're on part three now. He's having to go through this. But the way things kind of just wove in and out and all the code names and the subterfuge and stuff, I got confused. I'm just going to straight up be honest with you. I honestly got confused and was like, okay, well, just keep listening. Uh, I'm a little bit lost now, but I figure it out. And I mostly did. But I think just a little bit of paint by numbers at the start would have made things a little bit simpler to understand. I am with you, sir. Uh, Again, this one just felt a lot like hopping from character to character to character to follow this whole smuggling train. And they do that a little bit in the movie. But. It, it was almost too brisk here or something. I, I had to really buckle down and focus in and be like, okay, now wait, who with the what now? And yeah, and they're bent on the horses and then they're at the casino. And yeah. Then don't go, go to the roulette table. Don't go to the roulette table. Oh, oh like, what? The roulette table. Yeah. And Felix was like, then I, so I told the jockey to, to do this and he did the thing and he, he was disqualified. So I gave him a thousand dollars, but then he, I, I, then he got like three thousand dollars. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I understood then, it all completely. And then, oh, and then they poured sulfur on them and he was like, ah, and James Bond was like, oh, <laughs> What? Yeah, you have to pay attention with your whole brain on this one. And I, I really tried to focus in, but even some parts I was like, now, wait, what the? Eh. Anyways, I got yeah, all the betting part of now that that that's how he was supposed to make his money. You know, yeah, I got that look, part. Look, Pat. I got that. Part. Look at the big brain on Pat. But but look, then the whole Pat, I understand Felix got involved because the guy was supposed to win the race. Like they, they had a duplicate horse. Yeah, yeah I got that, too. Yeah. There was two like, horses lips around or something yeah, and put the put lip a cut. smile on his face. And you yep. see how complicated <laughs> <laughs> they tattooed a new horse that looked like the old horse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> give me $5,000. <laughs> it was. I was like, man, the guy's got the money. His money. <laughs> Who's paying for all his expenses? He had to go to the hotel. He had to find somebody. That's why he's, you know, mooching the ride off of Felix. Because he can't get anywhere else. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a bit convoluted. But I think, and again, I I won't have a fun fact section because I'm going to sprinkle them in. Because I do have a couple of fun facts in my back pocket. But I think Fleming, and it shows in this, was really enamored with the whole diamond smuggling world. He's going to write a book called The Diamond Smugglers a year after this book comes out. I think he got into the research. I think he just loved the whole thing. And I think it shows he's got a love for it, but I think it almost overtakes the story. Like what could have been a great Bond story sort of becomes a sort of procedural thing. I, I, just my opinion. Jason, you can weigh in on that or go on a different branch. Well, I want to kind of pick up on something that Ellen was talking about earlier with them making these modifications to the story. And I'm going to need Alan's help here. I seem to recall in the novel Diamonds Are Forever, just before the train escape, he gets in a shootout 
on the platform or in one of the buildings just before that escape. Am I making that up? No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Even my fuzzy memory of reading it long ago, I agree with you, Jason. Because I seem to recall thinking, oh, that was kind of a cool action scene to get to Delvin's point, the lack of action. And I was thinking back to Live and Let Die when we did that one, and they cut out another shootout scene there. And then, like Alan said, they kind of took the abbreviated version of what happened in the big final shootout between Went and Kid, which is one of the most climactic elements of the book. And so it got me wondering, I wonder if BBC is intentionally removing some of the violence, toning down some of the gun violence. They've had some, like he takes a shot at the train when they go by, but I've noticed a pattern where they're starting to remove some of the gunfights from the stories. I kind of have a thought on that, and then I would definitely need to go to Alan and get him to weigh in, because he would understand the culture better than any of us. I think you may be onto something with that, Jason, and I think it also would be challenging to do action in this format, in this audio format, to be you know descriptive and exciting. They've done it before. They've pulled it off with some, I remember a pretty cool car chase in Moonraker. They've proven they can do it, but I wonder if it's a combination of the the aversion to violence and the fact that it's just hard to do in audio. That's just my thoughts, and I'll happily shift that to Alan and let him run with it and whatever else he wants to run with. Gunfights are probably the hardest thing because if you're thinking in terms of sound design, how do you differentiate between the good guys and the bad guys if all you get is cow cow on either side? You know, it's I mean, <laughs> sound wise, there's no difference. It's difficult, so I think that might be a point. It's interesting because I also some of the violence that they put in, like them stomping on Bond, you know, with the football boots and stuff. They sort mm. of talked about it and they had Bond reacting to it. But again, it's toned down from what's in the book. So I think they did tone down. The action scenes in this book are actually, I think, some of the most violent because they're very personal, physical confrontations in the book. So I think it's one of the more graphic, violent books, I think in the action sequences, so I think they, they did turn them down a bit. I also found occasionally, I found with the sound design, I occasionally lost track of what was meant to be happening on this one. In some of the scenes, I was trying to figure out what was going on for a little while. Um, and to your point, Jason, yeah, at one point I was like, you know, it was on my phone and you can see the progress bar on YouTube and it was like three quarters of the way through and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, we still got half the novel to go. And it's like... <laughs> 15 minutes left, how are they going to get it all in? And the way they were going to get it all in was take huge chunks of it out. So that didn't pan with me. Anyway, before I get to my thing, so I did find it in the book about the, the temperature. So it was not in a steam bath, it was in a mud bath. So I can't remember if I got that right or wrong listen, listening. But anyway, so the attendant says to him, have you ever been in one of these before? No, thought maybe not. So I'm giving you the mud at 110. Ah. Uh-huh. But but if you if you get acclimatized, you can take it to 120 or even 130. So maybe you were right. Maybe it was 130, and I heard it as just 30. Oh, you know, now thinking back on it, I think he did put Bond in at 110, and I think it was the jockey that went in at 130 because he'd done it so many times. Oh, okay. So I think that's what it was. So my apologies on the 30-degree centigrade thing I was off. Now we got to record the whole episode again. No, no, you can just say Alan was an idiot and he misheard it. <laughs> My big uh, brain agrees with you, Jared. Yes. <laughs> so. Pat's having a good night. Tonight. Yeah. But I'm not going to go back and re-listen to the whole thing just to figure that out. So. 
So no, it's easier to flick right. through a book than it is to flick through an hour and a half of audio. That's uh, true. I Now that you say that, that is how I, it sticks out of my brain, that Bond went in at 110 and it was the jockey that was in at 130. And, just, and that makes sense with what you said in the book. Like right. if you've done it a bunch of times, you could even take 130. Okay, cool. That makes sense. All right. So I, I'm actually going to go for a couple of things I like. I, I did, did actually just mention the sound design. I love that. Even though there was a couple of places, generally I got lost briefly. But overall, I thought the sound design, as with the, with the previous ones we've listened to, was really good. I actually liked, sorry, Delvin, but I actually liked the back and forward setup exposition at the beginning that actually set the whole thing up. The way they actually kept flicking between the guys in the, the like the dentist and the, the guy in the South African desert, flicking between their conversation and M and Bond's conversation. So you were getting the two parallel conversations, but by putting them together, you were actually, they were actually setting up the whole backstory and setting up the, the scene. I thought that was really good. So I really liked that. That so, was uh, kind of like the movie too, a little bit. Yeah. When you had the person that was doing the explanation and then they played it over what was actually going on in the diamond mind. Yeah. Where you had the, uh, as you said, you had the, uh, the audio of the briefing that Bond was getting contrasting with what was actually happening within the mine and stuff. Yeah. So, and then they sort of did a similar way here without, with the visuals. I thought it worked really well. So yeah, that was a positive on this one for me. All right. That's two good rounds of stuff. Who's got any last minute thoughts before we start talking about scores? Pat, you want to brag about following the plot again? No problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely (laughs) thought this plot was like, you know, I figured it all out through the beginning with my big brain. (laughs) We talked a little bit. I liked Felix in this one. I thought he was cool. And uh, it was fun to have kind of like a gang back together a little bit. And just the banter between him and Felix as well, too, was kind of fun. And just how they would play off each other and just like two buddies, you know, talking. Yeah, yeah. And you notice the the tie back to the previous novel as well from when he got his leg and, and arm yeah, bitten. Yeah, I was kind of, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. what happened here. And then I, I do remember that because he, he said, you know, like his arm hand, right, or, or something was. Yeah, his shooting, his shooting hand, shooting hand and, his, and his leg. Which is kind of funny because it's it's pretty early in the Fleming novels that he becomes a private security guy. Yeah. You know, and we only know him as a CIA guy, really, from the movies. Like, he's always a CIA guy. But it's kind of interesting how early in the books he's really not a CIA guy. And didn't they mention a couple of times just about some of his injuries mm-hmm. that he had? Yeah. 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 I was going to say, when they were doing the intro to the audio and they said, and Stacey Keach, I thought, oh, great. He'll be perfect as Felix. <laughs> And then I realized, of course, Felix had been in the previous one, so they've already had an actor who's all the way through. I was trying to figure out who Stacey Keach was playing. And, but, uh, yeah, I was hoping he would be Felix, but no such luck. Same for me, by the way. I kept was like, who's going to be do? Well, he ended up, he kind of does a voice. He kind of does a persona. So it's hard to pick him out. <laughs> like, it's, he's not talking in his regular, you know, Mickey Spillane voice. But, yeah, once again, Josh Stamberg is the voice of Felix Leiter. And what's really messed up, is he's from Canada. I'm just kidding. Oh. He's from America. I want everyone to panic for him. He's from the U.S. <laughs> you mean Canada, Texas, because let's face it, we have every other every other country name somewhere in Texas. In there, yes. No, I just want to hear that. I just want to see everyone's look on their faces when I said that bald-faced lie. 
<laughs> no, he's American. Well, he, he, he went all in on that Texas accent, too. He, <laughs> oh, you rooting tootin' good, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> I want to get that guy to, like, do my voicemail, you know? <laughs> okay, I just looked it up. There isn't a Canada, Texas, but there's a Canadian, Texas. There's a uh, of town course Texas there <laughs> Of course there is. All right, guys, I will hit you just one fun fact that I did have that I didn't get to sprinkle in along the way is about Toby Stevens. And this one was kind of for you, Pat, because you particularly like his voice hmm. and his James Bond work. So good news. Of course, he's going to be Bond in all these radio dramas. I can't remember how many of these in total there are. I want to say in the neighborhood of 10, but uh, I, I don't have it in front of me. But if you want more of that Toby Stevens, the Bond novel Carte Blanche, he did the audiobook for it. so he does everything, reads the whole book. Oh. And if you get the 2012 from Russia with love, he does the audiobook for that one as well. Oh, very cool. So you can get a little more Toby Stevens in your life, reading some bond and being bond. I mean, he's everybody, but he's also bond yeah. in those two. All right, let's get into the scoring. 007 is the top of the heat. That means you loved it, and it shook your martini. Six means it was really good, and five was pretty good. And four was like, yeah, it was pretty good. You know, it's all right. And three was like, it was okay. And two was like, I don't know about this. And one did not like it. It stirred my martini. Mm. We will go reverse order this time. We will start with Alan, one to seven. This is tough. Can I give it a three and a half right down the middle? <laughs> if Joe November was there, we could do that. But uh... Um... I'll be slightly generous and give it a four. Yeah, it's like I said, there are so many changes in this adaptation, and not just things they left out, things they put put in. It threw me out of the story a lot. It didn't flow. The other ones we listened to, I stopped thinking, oh, this is different from the novel. I just enjoyed them and got caught up in the story and went along with them. This one all the way through, I was constantly comparing it to the novel. So, yeah, for that reason, I, like I said, ideally, I'd put it right down the middle, but I'll give it a four. I'll reveal my score at the end. We're not going to be too far off, Alan, but I agree. I think um, the other ones, uh, I mean, they're, they're all to an extent, they're good Cliff Notes versions of the books. But this one had a certain distraction to it as well. It wasn't just you that felt it. I will tell you that much. And I'll score at the end, but let's get Jason's score. I'm with Alan on a four with this as well. I think the other books, the books themselves are much better paced, where you have action elements throughout to hold your attention, which translates well into the audio format. And I think that's kind of to Delvin's point. It's very exposition heavy up front. And then when you get to the back half of the story, where a lot of the action takes place, they just whittled out a whole bunch of it. So it makes it feel clumsy and a little dull in places. All right. So we're sitting on two fours and it is time for Delvin. We can make it three fours. I didn't dislike it. I thought it ran a little bit long, like towards the end. And I bet that when they were, whenever they were storyboarding and it came out and I, they probably ran a little bit longer than they wanted to. And they made the creative decisions to just cut some of the action which I wish they would have just gone back and snipped some of the slower parts and gotten to the action. Uh, as Jason has said, sometimes don't bore us, get to the chorus. I absolutely agree with that. But, you know, I didn't completely love it, but, you know, I don't need love because what good will love do me? 
<laughs> I see what you did, and I like it. <laughs> I liked it. That's creative. Your creative brain, whichever side it was on, was on fire with that one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> At, are you going to touch it, feel it, and then stroke it? <laughs> All in that order? Or can I it order? <laughs> That's where the lyrics of the song get weird. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I am going to give it a five. I'm going to be a little bit higher. Ooh. Um, and I think Alan... That's, that's only because he understood it all the way through. <laughs> yeah. no, he, he got the whole Alan way. Me to it. You guys just don't understand good drama being done <laughs> by itself. I think what Alan's point is, I have not read the book, so I have nothing to compare it to. So for me, it was listening to a drama play out that I have nothing to compare it to besides the movie. And I think I go into these knowing the movies aren't going to be the same. You know, they're not the a same thing for listening to the audiobook. So I'm giving in a five. I do agree with Delvin. I think towards the end, they really like, hey, we got to do this. Now we'll switch to the end. And it's like, I think the final gunplay or whatever, shooting the helicopter or whatever happened, that was like a three minutes towards the end. It's like, hey, we got we to gotta end this thing really quick. Let's just do it. But I could have had a little more, you know, getting there, getting things figured out, things like that on it. But I enjoyed it. I'm glad you did. And that's pretty cool. And I've actually got it at a three. <laughs> so to me, it was just it was hard to follow. I, you had to really focus to follow the this guy to that guy to this guy. Yeah, I wish I had the big brain like Pat. I listened to it while I was out of my walk. First half out of my walk. So I was just completely focused on that. And second half was I was driving to a nearby town. And so I was focused on it, but it still just didn't, didn't hold me like I would have liked. So I'm the grump on this one. I can give it, give it a three, got a few fours and a five from big brain Cristados. Well, folks, that's about it for this mission of on her Majesty's secret podcast, rogue agents. You can always do us a favor by liking and subscribing and all those wonderful things. We are at OHMS pod over on X slash Twitter. You can email us at OHMS pod at outlook.com. OHMS pod at outlook.com. We'd love to hear from you. And most of all, we just love hearing from you in any form or fashion. So you know, write a review on whatever platform you listen to this on. Give us those stars, those thumbs up, whatever. But we do love so much hearing from you. So be sure to come by the old Twitter X and check out at OHMS pod. Say hello. Let us know your thoughts. We, we really enjoy that. And that's how to get hold of the show. Now let's find out how to get a hold of all of us individually. So you can pick whichever one of us is your favorite and just start talking bond with them on, on social media or whatever. We'll start with Alan. So you can find me on Twitter and X at, at Bond Lexicon for James Bond stuff or uh, Instagram and Tumblr at James Bond Lexicon. And of course, there is the James Bond Lexicon.online website, which is a companion to the James Bond Lexicon book. And I actually, over the last week, have just done a major update to the James Bond Lexicon website. We fixed a bunch of stuff. There was some back-end code problems with Dynamite Comics page. That's now been fixed and that's right up to date with the, all the information on all the dynamite comics right up to the latest one and the main thing we uh, did was added a james bond bibliography page which now lists over 230 non-fiction books related to the wills of bond and ian fleming if you want to add to your library 
So uh, pop on over and check that out. Oh, very handy resource. And Alan's always doing cool stuff to help the Bond community. Pat, where can people find you? Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter X at Christatos01. You can also find all five of us out on the Lombox Crusade Network. And that can be found on YouTube. All your favorite podcatchers out there are on the web at www.lomboxcrusade.com. Go out there. Uh, we're on the Facebook. We're also on, thanks to Alan for the invite, we're also on the Blue Sky. So go and check out at Lombox Crusade out there on the Blue Sky as well. I love it. If you can't get enough of us talking about stuff <laughs> at Long Life Crusade, it's a treat. I'll tell you right now. It sure is. <laughs> and speaking of treats, Jason, where can they find you? Oh, I'm usually hanging out at the threads or at Instagram. Both of those are at Jason Albrick. Saving the best for last, which would be me. So, Delvin, where, <laughs> where can people find you? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Yard Sale Artists. You will find me, <laughs> Delvin Williams, the Yard Sale Artist. <laughs> checkmate! Checkmate in my checkmate. <laughs> Had to do something there. Um, you can find me on Twitter X at de underscore ry one nine seven seven. Instagram at Delvin Ray. What about you, Jared? Well, I think you already know. I am at Yard Sale Artist on X and Facebook and Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. You can check out my artwares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. I want to thank the guys for taking on another dangerous mission. And I want to thank the listeners who tuned in to join us. And we will be back. James Bond will always return. And so will Rogue Agents here at Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast. We will be back. And when we return... Whatever James Bond item we're going to be talking about, it'll be up to Delvin. So, see you then. This episode features the James Bond GoldenEye 007 Trap Remix by The Whibbler. when I was with Am in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Outtakes. Thank you, Miss Moneypenny. That's all. That's all. And it... I can't read my own notes. I should have brought my glasses. <laughs> scribble, scribble. I think that's a drawing of Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I was wondering what the problem was over there. And I was like, oh, we did <laughs> You know what? Let me just help myself. Why do I have a scratch? I have a scratch. I just I have a second monitor here doing nothing. You 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 even did the old man look away from. I did the head back. <laughs> I did. Well, now we got outtakes at least. <laughs>